You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Ravel Media. Hey there, Laura here. If you haven't heard yet, we wanted to make sure you know that things around here are evolving. Starting in October, Diversify Van Life will be hosting the podcast you hear on this feed under the new name Nomads at the Intersections. Also, if this is complete news to you, stop what you're doing right now and listen to the three-minute update we aired last week to hear all the details. To listen to the first episode of Nomads at the Intersections, you don't have to do anything but keep subscribing to the same feed. We still have a lot of fun updates to share as this relaunch approaches, and Nomads at the Intersections will drop updates right here as well as on Instagram at diversify.vanlife. So just sit tight, make sure you're subscribed, and we'll bring all the news straight to you. Additionally, we're really excited to introduce you to Sex Outside, a new show I'll be hosting with our team at Ravel Media starting in February of 2021. It's a show that peers into all the nooks and crannies of sex, gender, and love, and their connections to the natural world around us. You can listen to the trailer for Sex Outside now. I mean, right now. We're so excited about it that we're going to play it for you right after this. So enjoy and make sure you get subscribed to Sex Outside anywhere you're already listening to your favorite podcasts and stay tuned for more news about nomads at the intersections. And now here's the trailer for Sex Outside. What did it feel like the last time you talked about being outdoors? You probably shared all the details you thought were relevant felt pretty comfortable answering follow-up questions from your friends or family, told jokes, and didn't get at all nervous or ashamed about it, right? Because you love talking about how it made you feel, how it helped you to grow, and what you learned. Now, what did it feel like the last time you talked about sex? Probably not the same, right? But what would it look like if it did? I'm Laura Borshevsky. I'm a podcast host, a traveler, and someone who likes to spend a lot of time outdoors. And that's how a lot of people know me. But what only a handful of people knew until right about now is that I also have a passion and background in sex education and advocacy. I'm no expert by any means, but in combining my interest for talking about sex with my desire to listen and ask questions of anyone with advice or a good story, it seemed like there was an opportunity to normalize conversations about sex in any form by using the outdoors as a tool to see those conversations through. Because the reality is that talking about sex doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. But thinking about the ways it intersects with the outdoors just might be a good place to start. Sex Outside is a podcast peering into all the nooks and crannies of sex, gender, and love, and their connections to the natural world around us. We'll get a little dirty in the name of opening up conversations many of us want to have, but so few are willing to utter out loud. On this show, we'll talk about everything from gender and sexual hygiene to relationships and dating to the practical aspects of having sex in the outdoors. Nothing's off the table, which means one very important thing. This podcast is for everyone. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know what sex means to you right now. You don't even have to have listened to a sex podcast before. Because no matter how talking about sex makes you feel, we know there are plenty of conversations to be had. The first full episode of Sex Outside launches in February of 2021, but don't worry, we've got lots planned in the meantime. Subscribe to Sex Outside in your favorite podcast app now, and if you're curious about what's to come, consider following along with us on Instagram at sexoutsidepod to receive fun updates as the anticipation builds. We hear it's more fun that way anyway. Before we start, 
This episode discusses sexual assault and also contains some swearing, which we don't bleep. Okay, that's all for now. Here's the show. A full tank of gas will get you pretty far, right? And you can move to any corner of the world, but you never actually leave any of your problems behind, and they're always going to come with you. I was never traveling alone. Like, the passenger seat was filled with my baggage, like, literally and figuratively. (laughs) I knew that being in a van wasn't going to make that space for me. Like, it didn't create that space for me. It was a catalyst for a lot of things, but you can't just hit the pause button and, like, go on vacation and run away from real life or your problems. Like, a piece of metal on wheels is not going to give you that. Like, it's not its responsibility. It's yours. I'm Laura Borshevsky, and you're listening to Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived them firsthand. When we talk about travel by car, there's almost always a huge focus on the driver's seat. But what we don't acknowledge often is what also joins us for the experience, even when we travel solo. There are a lot of tangibles you might put in your passenger seat. A water bottle or a jacket, a camera, maybe sometimes a dog sits there too. But as the landscapes we navigate change, and as we set up our camp for the night, and as we point the nose of our vehicle straight down a long road sitting in silence, we know that our vehicles carry a lot more than what we can see sitting next to us. Is it a piece of our past? Is it anger or grief? Is it a formative memory? Is it trauma? For some of us, what got us into the car in the first place are the very things we're running from. But no matter how many miles we drive, those things end up in the front seat with us, along for the ride. It's something so human that connects us. And it's also something that, even the freedoms of the road, it just can't shake. My name is Kathy Carlo, and I am a climber who lives on the road, and I live in my 2016 Nissan cargo van, and I'm also the executive director of a film festival called No Man's Land Film Festival, and I produce my own podcast called For the Love of Climbing. Kathy Carlo is someone who knows the contents of her passenger seat well, and as you'll hear, she doesn't just acknowledge what she brings with her on the road. She also uses the weight of what she carries to build something bigger than herself. So as you listen to Kathy, try to be honest with yourself about what follows you when you hit the road. And instead of trying to leave it behind, consider what it would look like to acknowledge them as a part of your journey. Can they actually become tools for fostering community, be a seed from which to grow more meaningful connections, or motivate you to dig a little deeper and find untapped inner strength? Can we make space for empathy in the front seat too? Can we make space for kindness to ourselves? Kathy will dive into all of this with us, right after this. We all know we don't arrive at our next destination without the proper resources for the journey. Oregon State University has those resources made accessible to you with their eCampus classes, so you can stay on the road and in class. Oregon State eCampus is ranked number five in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. Their online education delivers over 70 programs, including Spanish and environmental sciences, all developed by the same faculty who teach on campus, designed to help you go out there and into the world. Join classmates from more than 50 countries worldwide, like Chris Clark, who's working towards his business degree online while he and his girlfriend start a new adventure in a new U.S. city every three months thanks to her job as a travel nurse. There's no wrong way to get started. So to learn how Oregon State eCampus can help you take nationally ranked university learning with you anywhere, visit ecampus.oregonstate.edu road and find the program that's right for you. That's ecampus.oregonstate.edu. 
wyoming.edu slash road. It's funny because I tell people all the time, like, I'm a pretty one-dimensional person. Like, there's this whole outdoor realm, and I just rock climb, and I don't mountain bike or ski, and I'm actually, like, terrified of going downhill. Like, downhill momentum is just so scary to me, and I guess climbing is just the total opposite because, theoretically, you're just supposed to go in one direction up, just, you know, like a very nice controlled pace. If you look at Kathy's presence in the outdoor industry— through interviews, social media, and the network around her, it's clear she's been a climber for a while. But like all of us, Kathy had to start somewhere. I asked her how that went. I actually started climbing right before I moved to New York City. I had a really wonderful ex-boyfriend years ago who I'm still friends with to this day, and he had actually taken me ice climbing during my first two years. And so I guess imagine not knowing that rock climbing even existed for two whole years like I just I didn't come from a background in the outdoors like never went camping as a kid and so I just I was like oh yeah people just wear these crampons and they like swing ice tools at like frozen waterfalls for two years and then uh yeah I guess it was just like a little bit of a backward progression there um and we broke up and then I I took an intermediate ice climbing course actually on the east coast uh where I was living with eastern mountain sports EMS and like I I sort of knew what the deal was but like I didn't really have any gear and the whole experience just opened up a whole new group of people to me and uh, I started climbing in the gym and then I immediately started climbing outside of the gunks and had a couple of really good partners who were mentors and they like supported me in wanting to learn how to lead climb and the leader like knows how to put the pro in the rock and you know they know how to build anchors and all this stuff and I was like I want to do that like I want to be self-sufficient as a rock climber in my own rock climbing to be able to do that for myself and for other people so yeah that was like nine years ago. I love hearing about what you just were talking about with learning how to lead climb and like your motivation behind that because I think when a lot of us look at you know some you know we're starting a new sport right or a new anything really and we look at where someone else is um, who's much further along like maybe seven years maybe nine years like into the sport and like oh gosh like that doesn't feel super attainable but that's more looking at them being like I can't be them and it's like well if I if I'm motivated by like being self-sufficient and also being able to help others like I feel like that gets us a lot further a lot faster because it's a it's a motivation that like we can we can do something Definitely. Yeah. Like that intrinsic motivation, like everything just always feels so new and so exciting and you're constantly learning and pushing yourself. And I don't know, that feeling of doing something that previously might have felt impossible is just like exhilarating, I guess, and sort of addictive. So yeah. So for the past five years of my life now, pretty much every decision I've made for the most part has revolved around my climbing schedule. <laughs> Yeah. What does that look like? Like when you say like pretty much every decision I've made is revolved around it, like what types of decisions would you put in that bucket? Oh, just like moving out of New York City. And I lived on the road for 12 months after leaving Brooklyn and then where I was going to wind up location wise and all of my job opportunities and options you know it's like well what kind of job can I work where I'm like working the least amount so I can go climbing the most but still make enough money to feed me and and my dog and get some some gas in the tank like those are all just like at the top of my list I had that like tunnel vision for a number of years 
Well, and that's also super interesting because I, you know, when I was first introduced to you just in this last year, really, yeah, you just stepped into like taking on even more leadership with No Man's Land. And so like, I've gotten to know you in this capacity of like, you love to go climb, but you also like are super like on top of your work as well. Like you work hard and you play hard is like always how I think about you. And so it's also just interesting to kind of hear what like got you like really out to begin with. And like, it was that like super strong motivation for climbing it's kind of interesting too because the job working with no man's land it just kind of randomly fell into my lap and and honestly the short version is like I just kept climbing like I just kept doing the thing that I really loved and I think that if you do that you you follow a joy not so much like chasing after like a dream but you just continue to do something that you really take pleasure out of it's going to open up paths to you that you might not have found otherwise like I I got really lucky (laughs) yeah you got lucky and and you also worked really hard for it and I know like part of that too is your podcast which I'd love to ask you more about like you started for the love of climbing a while back can you tell me about like when that started and what the catalyst was for you starting for the love of climbing for the love of climbing actually started it started as a blog in like 2014 I think when I was living in Brooklyn I'd always done a little bit of writing but nothing professionally I think like when I was in the third grade I I wanted to be a writer I told my mom I was like I'm gonna be the great American author and she was like okay and bought me a laptop and I wrote a lot of really bad poetry for a third grader (laughs) you know that was kind of like the extent of it other than like a couple of courses here and there like writing courses and workshops but I chose the name for the love of climbing just because it was so simple and I put the emphasis on pleasure, not for profit, because like I wasn't going to make any money out of it. Right. I just wanted to share some of my stories and my experiences. And then in 2018, it actually evolved into this storytelling platform. And the tagline is that it's not a climbing podcast. You don't have to be a rock climber to listen to it. It's actually more about the human experience told through this climbing lens so like it kind of is a climbing podcast and it kind of isn't but basically I was doing a little bit of writing over the years and eventually had a couple of pieces published in like climbing magazine and alpinist and and one day I was doing this phone interview for a piece and it's actually my favorite piece to date and it's called do not go outside to cry and I still get messages from women and men it reflected on this failed big wall expedition that I had been on in 2016 and I basically just talked about like not being shamed to downplaying like all of the emotions that we have especially the hard ones because that was a really hard month for me and anyway my interviewee actually suggested that I do this podcast and I kind of laughed it off but a year later like it happened like I just hit it and I just I don't know dove in and yeah I just wanted to share other people's stories in this really honest way the way that I had shared my own yeah, that's really beautiful. And I feel like a really, again, like it, it kind of reminds me of the way you talked about lead climbing, to be honest, where you're like, you know, I want to be able to like, not just do this to like, be great, like to not just to be this like great American author to like be like, you know, sponsored or whatever it is, right. But like, I want to do it with the purpose of like sharing stories, like both my own, and then also like leading other people through that experience too, and like having a platform so that those stories are possible. Totally. Yeah. Especially in this age where we're in the digital age and social media, like everything is portrayed unintentionally, I think. But like it gives everyone the idea that everyone's lives are perfect. It's like perfectly curated highlight reels of your best moments. And, you know, and I I do it, too. It's like it happens, you know, but 
there's always going to be something missing from that and like in essence like that was what the article is about and that was what I wanted the podcast to be about like I wanted it to reflect like yeah we all have these moments in life but there's also something really powerful and like talking about them honestly like it's empowering for us to like speak our truth and it's really empowering for other people to connect with it and it forms a community you know yeah definitely what have you learned about like yourself or about your community from hosting and producing for the love of climbing I learned that we're not as alone as we think we are in the things that we're going through. And I mean, our situation is always going to be so specific to us, right, and to our lives. But, like, other people, like, they've been there too or they're going through it right now. But, like, that is actually the biggest lie that we always tell ourselves is that, like, nobody else feels this way. I think you hit that moment and when you believe it, you just spiral super hard. But, like, actually, like, there's so much of a community out there who can not just be sympathetic but really empathetic to the situation. And I've also talked a lot about what the difference between sympathy and empathy is. And sometimes it's hard to, like, know or, like, feel. But, like, I can be sympathetic when I hear, like, a friend hurt themselves or they're going through a hard time. But to really dig into the empathy is, like... You don't have to have experienced the same thing as the other person, but I think you need to like really connect to that feeling. Since it's nearly impossible to get two podcast hosts together without talking about the behind the scenes aspect of creating a show, I asked Kathy what advice she has for anyone out there wanting to make their own podcast in the future. I think that the best advice that I could give somebody who was keen to start podcasting and kind of delving into that realm a little bit is to just understand that you will make a lot of mistakes and you know take what you can from them like it's not going to be a perfect structure especially if you're starting from from scratch all the technical stuff like that's all stuff you can learn like you'll make mistakes and you'll learn and you'll make mistakes and you'll learn and that's fine I actually think that's the easy part of it I think that the hard part is like the connection and being able to like connect with people that you're talking to and this is going to sound kind of funny but like active listening is is actually it it's a really hard skill to master, I think, personally. And I do all of my interviews in person just because I am on the road. And so I build my climbing schedule and my interview schedule out so that they align really well to each other because I love to be able to sit and, like, look at a person face-to-face. And, like, I feel like there's a lot more connection there for me. And also I can read, like, the cues, right? Like, I can read, like, the physical, you know, just, like, body language. And so – and when you don't have that, like, when we're on the phone right now, you know, like, when we're talking virtually like this, it's, like, listening to – like pauses and inflection of tone and that sort of thing like active listening is like it's a hard thing to master actually and I just think that the more you practice it the better you become and the better you get at asking the right questions you know and framing things the right way um, and just creating that comfort level sit tight we'll be right back with Kathy after this we all know this the reality is that everyone can benefit from tending to our mental health especially right now and no matter where you find yourself BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Thanks to their online interface, you can connect with your professional counselor by scheduling secure video and phone sessions in a safe and private online environment, meaning that you can get help on your own time and your own pace. You can even chat and text with your therapist, too. I tried BetterHelp this year at a time I realized I was feeling alone and needed someone to talk to. And because access to a therapist is limited right now, going to a counselor in person just wasn't an option for me. This was all a great fit for BetterHelp. After signing up, I was connected with a licensed professional counselor and was communicating with them in less than 24 hours to chat about my struggles and goals for therapy in a confidential online setting. 
BetterHelp has over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in topics you might be dealing with most right now, like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, grief, and self-esteem. And you can customize your needs to get the best therapist fit for you. What's more is that you can start and stop at any time, so you can focus on getting the support you truly need and when you need it. Getting started with counseling can feel scary, but it's really something that can help. And with BetterHelp, which takes affordability into consideration and operates on a sliding scale, you can get started today, even if you don't have an insurance plan that covers mental health services. Women on the Road listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code ROAD. To get started, go to betterhelp.com road. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love so you can start feeling better inside out. Visit betterhelp.com road and use promo code ROAD for 10% off. So my life in 2018 through 2019 was probably the most difficult year of my life. We're back. And this part of the conversation gets into a lot of what sits with Kathy in the passenger seat. You know, it's kind of funny because in many ways where I'm at now, I'm actually really grateful now that I'm sort of, I don't want to say like on the other side of it because I'm always dealing with the impact from climbing to work to my personal relationships to everyday life. But at least everything that had to happen during that year happened already. And all of the work that I had committed to doing in order to create a foundation for everything that is to come is behind me in a sense, you know. And I think that I feel grateful because once you go through the quote unquote hardest moment of your life, every challenging thing that you'll face after it, it will just seem less daunting in a way. And so, I don't know, I think it was back in, like, 2016 at that point. Like, the hardest thing I'd ever done was suffer for, like, four weeks in a jungle in Africa on this, like, big wall expedition. Like, that was a test of strength. And after that, it was just this great reminder that you have and you can pull from your memories anytime something gets hard. It's like, oh, yeah, like, that hard thing? Like, I did that and, like, I prevailed and I saw it through to the other side and... And I also think it's important to say, right, like, because, like, there's always the implied thing versus, like, actually saying it. And I I think that, you know, they can both hold the same meaning, but actually spent a number of years on and off the road since 2015. But 2018 was actually different from all the other times that I'd hit the road because usually it was just for, like, climbing trips and going to see friends and just adventure, you know. But it was different in December because it followed a sexual assault and I still really struggle using that term for a lot of reasons but one of them being that the words sexual assault don't carry the severity of what happened like at least not for me right and this was this thing that derailed my entire life trajectory forever and like you can never see it coming like you can't plan for it you can't plan for what you'll do you don't know what your reactions are going to be like everything in my life has been changed forever because of this one thing and I do know that a lot of these terms get used interchangeably like especially like media coverage right but like I want to be very intentionally clear about my experience and with my words and that I was raped in 2018 and it is the ugliest thing that I have ever said and it's still hard for me to say like it's a really hard word to like hear you know, and I, I'm a writer, and when I write about this experience, like sometimes my words get edited to something much softer, like more palatable, maybe. But I've also just 
always been a big believer in not sugarcoating things and calling it what it is. And so I don't know. I just I think it's important to say all of that because that's the whole point, right? Is like we don't talk about it because it's so shocking and it's so hard to hear. But like the more people talk about it and can, you know, share these stories and lean into other people's experiences, I think it'll become less shocking and we can create more change from those conversations being had. We really appreciate Kathy's thoughts on what it means to call out rape as rape and how even though it's a word that makes so many of us uncomfortable, it's truly important to say and to hear when it's relevant. Because like Kathy's mentioned before about empathy and being able to be there for others, a lot of that starts with listening and hearing someone, particularly in the presence of vulnerability and sharing. Following the rape, Kathy continued to move forward on her plans to hit the road again, albeit with an incredibly different outlook and a new set of thoughts and obligations joining her in the passenger seat. This was like the really awful, unplanned, trauma-filled beginning chapter of van life for me. And like initially it started with this idea that I would just leave the West and just travel for a couple of months and try to find, I don't know, like some reckoning or something. And, you know, like go climbing and be with people who I knew really cared about me. And so I started to just think about all of the friends that I have scattered all over the country, like people I've met through climbing over the years and, you know, people who had the ability to open up that space for me, both physically and emotionally. And I'd been climbing in Red Rocks with my really good friend, Sky Yardini. And, you know, I just started looking at vans on all of our rest days. And I keep thinking to myself, like, oh, like, no, like, you're you're not really a van person, Kathy. Like, I mean, for years, I just did all of my trips out of my Honda CRV, And that always worked. But then I found the one. And it was this 2016 cargo van and the price was really good and it had maybe like 5k miles on it and so I just thought it'd be really stupid to pass up on the opportunity and so I actually wound up buying it on Christmas day I think and and I just tied up whatever loose ends that needed tying up and just drove it to Colorado to build it out in the middle of winter so I think collectively it took my friend and I like five days to do it Sidebar, if you want a really good motivation to finish building out your van quickly do it in winter it's really cold even if you have a garage. By February, I was already on my way back to the East Coast, and I pretty much stayed there until late spring. And I was climbing in the Southeast for like a month, and then I went up to New York City, and then at some point I even just ran away to Spain for like most of spring. And all of this time, like I was just working and climbing, and I just kept packing my schedule so tightly so that I always had something to do, you know? And like January was so fucking hard just like making police reports and going back and forth with that whole process. And I just needed to compartmentalize it all. And so I needed the distraction. So I just turned it off as much as I could for as long as I could. And I think for the time being, that worked. Like it was enough to get by, right? And I don't know, like I still had a job, <laughs> like responsibilities and bills and people who are counting on me who they don't know you just had a really traumatic experience and they expect you to function in the world. And I didn't mean to hide it, but it was like, I have to keep functioning. And so that was the only way to do it. I definitely, definitely had a lot of moments where I couldn't, like just total nervous breakdowns on the side of the road or like empty parking lots, just like a lot of internal screaming, you know? <laughs> 
that was like the first half of the year really just to like taking that time off was a really good thing and it was kind of necessary and I don't feel bad about it either like I wasn't running away I mean I guess you could call it running away like I was literally like running to the other end of the country but you know there are so many I guess like popular buzz words and phrases these days and one of them that I always hear and we always talk about is about being compassionate with ourselves and but it's like what does that even look like you know and I think truthfully it looks different for everybody and that was how it looked like for me like to just know and be okay with the fact that I wasn't yet in a good space to start unraveling all of this like pain and betrayal. I mean there's a lot of times within the road travel community that we also talk about escapism and the unhealthy aspects of escapism but what often gets failed to be mentioned during that conversation is that there are a lot of healthy ways that we sometimes need to escape um, sometimes like very physically and sometimes like mentally and emotionally and it sounds like that was a huge piece of it for you so that you could just keep moving things forward so that you didn't stay in that one place like mentally and emotionally totally and the van let me do that and like I won't lie the freedom that comes with the whole deal you know of living in a van like that's pretty huge and I feel like other people who also choose to live in a van would probably say the same thing. And it's like, after living through a horrible, fucked up experience meant to completely take that freedom away from you, like, I just gravitated towards it. And so, like, even though I was moving around the country so much during that year, like, being on the go is also something that I've always been really good at. Like, when I lived in New York City for five years during that time, like, I drove up and down the East Coast, like, it was my job, (laughs) like, just to go on, like, weekly climbing trips. And so, in a sense, I'd already sort of mastered that fast-paced, go, go, go mentality. The feeling of just needing to be on the run is kind of already ingrained in me. And I think that there was a comfort in that for me. And I think part of the comfort also is just like that there is uncertainty. Like I, I like that and I like the freedom aspect of it all. And all of that compounded with climbing because, I mean, climbing is also I feel like a huge – form of escapism for so many people and I think that there's like a good balance to be found with all of it with climbing with being on the road living in a van you you know like you can take all the good parts and then take it back to whatever like your job your relationship just like everyday practices for yourself and apply things that you've learned or just like you know come back with a better headspace for it you know to be able to tackle these harder things and I'm also in the middle of trying to process that hard thing so having the ability to up and leave basically whenever I wanted to was so easy to do like I mean it was like too easy to do right because even though on a lot of levels it felt like it could be this really good thing having this freedom I still think that there's a danger within that like a full tank of gas will get you pretty far right and you can move to any corner of the world but you never actually leave any of your problems behind and they're always going to come with you so I I had to learn how to strike that balance and acknowledge that I was never traveling alone like the passenger seat was filled with my baggage like literally and figuratively yeah that's a really powerful way to put that Kathy like and I think in tiny spaces too that becomes even more obvious that like whether you're traveling solo or with a friend or family member or partner like people talk about it often with relationships but I think it's for every single person who hits the road for any duration of time like in those small spaces you can kind of feel that more like your baggage becomes that much more apparent like your emotions become that much more apparent definitely and like I said the same thing goes for climbing I mean mentally it was a huge break that I was giving myself 
and to be able to travel for the thing that I love to do, right? And I have this physical activity that acts as an outlet that's huge. And, you know, I, I had mentioned, like, I jumped on the sharp end maybe my first month of rock climbing. The sharp end of the rope meaning the climbing end. And so when I started climbing in, like, 2011, 2012, like, I immediately just took to learning how to to lead traditional style climbing. And so for me, leading a climb and being on the end of the rope, like, above my gear – above my last ball like it was very empowering and so when I was traveling and even when I was like out of the country like in Spain I had this moment where like the sound of my breath matched with every single movement I was making and that felt really empowering to me and healing in that moment and so like I was like on sighting harder climbs that I didn't know or like necessarily believe that I could do like that felt really empowering and like ultimately at the end of the day, stepping back and creating that space for me, like allowing myself that room to breathe and to go climb and to go travel from state to state and feel all of it was actually just allowing myself room to grow and heal. So that was me like striking that balance because I knew that being in a van wasn't going to make that space for me. Like it didn't create that space for me. It was a catalyst for a lot of things, but people need to remember that you can't just hit the pause button and like go on vacation and run away from real life or your problems like a piece of metal on wheels is not going to give you that like it's not its responsibility it's yours yeah uh, I couldn't agree more that was said so so well I know that you mentioned at first that as everything unfolded you initially were like I want to spend time with the people that like I know we're going to be there to hold like the space that needs to be held for me right now. What did community continue to look like for you as you did do more of that traveling um, whether it was just domestically or to Spain like how has community evolved for you since that point in time? I wasn't really ready to I guess unravel my experience but when I got back from Spain and this was in May of 2019 a lot of the unraveling it just kind of happened on its own honestly and community is something that has changed so drastically for me I mean even just yesterday like someone appeared at the climbing area we were at and I had this feeling I don't know and so I told my friends and I packed up my stuff and I just quietly left and went into town and it was fine you know but like on a normal day like I would just be hanging out and laughing and getting to know like these new people but like something just like struck me and I left and so like I definitely look at the community a lot differently now which is hard because like I'm a really I would say a fairly social person I describe myself as an extroverted introvert like I like meeting new people I like getting to know them but like something felt like really closed off for me and I would say that I think during the first year I just grieved so much because I had lost like my home and my relationship and like ultimately I think the hardest thing was feeling like I lost my community because the climbing community is pretty small actually like we're everywhere but it's pretty small and everybody kind of knows everybody and for a long time there was just this really immense pain of feeling betrayed and not just from the assault but just like all the vitriol that it created and like the whole point of having community, of being a part of any community, whether it's climbing or skiing or running or van lifers, like you have this support system already built in and it's there for you to lean on it when you're like, you know, not able to stand on your own when you need it the most. And a lot of people did show up in a lot of ways. People were there and they really did show up. But 
simultaneously, it, it just like crumbled. And so to have that juxtaposition happening in my life at the same time, it was really hard to face. And people didn't show up and they said things that honestly just contribute so much to rape culture and the things that like I had heard and I was seeing like both to my face and behind my back. It was just so disappointing. I spent years believing that the community, like my community, was the best part about climbing, that like the actual act of climbing was just so supplementary to the people and the relationships and the connections grown. And here I am. And like I had people, you know, asking me to think about like his future and how this would affect him or to, you know, see the police report. And honestly, like I think this one hurt the most. Like they just said like, oh, like I don't know you well enough to help out. And to me, that was just so surprising because I'm not like this super well-known person, but like I've been in it for years at this point and just like writing for major publications and talking openly about hard topics and trying to bring people together and pushing for conversations through all the work that I'm doing, like pushing for more self-reflection in this sort of like machismo sport we're in. And like these people knew my work and then to be told that like, oh, I just don't know you well enough to help. Like it just felt really devastating and it still is devastating. Like the fact of the matter is that like people shouldn't have to know somebody's life story to believe that they were assaulted like you you know you don't have to know like every single detail to like get an idea for like their character like no woman or man would ever put themselves through what I did in order to be believed or to find justice and you know some of these people were honestly they were really close friends like they were trusted friends and others were maybe random connections from the internet like friends of friends or acquaintances and I had several people who'd even been on on my podcast to share their stories. Like, I heard and saw everything from shaming and blaming to apathy. And it is so heartbreaking to me because that's not even a unique situation, right? Like, these responses aren't unique. This happens again and again. And these are the same responses just from different people. People who have girlfriends and have mothers and sisters and best friends. And, And here you have this complete disconnection with empathy And all this time, like, I couldn't understand how the people I thought of so highly and respected and loved so much would react this way, you know, and after all this fallout, my sense of community was just shattered, and I just didn't trust anyone, and, like, that impact is still there, like, you know, rewind to yesterday at the crag, like, I just left because I didn't feel safe anymore, and so I don't know if that was, like, more or less devastating to me than the assault itself, but it, like, really sent me through a loop So spending a lot of time with specific people has really helped me see and it's helped remind me of like the goodness in the community. And so I've also like I started doing therapy again, which has been really it's been a struggle to do just because I am on the road and like finding the right person. And I knew it was something that I needed to do. And so like all of those things combined, it's been helping me do the internal work and focus all of my time on like the community that I have now, like for a while, it felt like this is the community I have left, you know, and which was kind of like devastating in a sense. But like, it's, it's not like what's left. Like, this is like, this is what I wanted, right? Because I do still believe in the strength of community. And there was no way I was going to go through what I went through and like come out on the other side of it with everybody on my side and cheering me on. And like, sometimes like, I have to remember that like, people have their own trauma to deal with and their own dark parts and like I think that's normal and it doesn't make them bad people it just means that you know we're not friends anymore and it you know definitely affected 
the relationship. I don't know. I already feel like I lost a year of my life and, and life's just too short for rotten connections, you know? And so I'm really focusing my energy on, on the people who deserve it. Like that's honestly been what's helping me find forgiveness for all of the people who don't deserve my time. And I don't know. I remember being parked in the, like this Denver suburb side street and I was just like hysterically crying and like thinking to myself, I'm going to have to find all new friends and I was so sad about it like I was just so pathetically sad and like you know fast forward a year later like that is true and it isn't true like I did lose a lot of my community and it wasn't necessarily my choice but I think it had to happen that way you know like one of my recent podcast interviews she talked about putting your whole life through a sieve whenever you go through a traumatic experience and like what falls away and what's left behind like that was what was meant to be and and I believe that so like I really feel strongly about if you feel like your community isn't there for you when you really need it and then you have to start from scratch like you have to build the community so that when other people find themselves in similar situations like you can be there for them yeah firstly thank you for sharing all that and I I appreciate that you brought up the um, Life Through a Civ episode as well, because as you were talking about those things that like fall away and the things that remain, I just had this visualization of like kind of a foundation that like, yeah, some of the stuff, it wasn't as stable as you thought it was, like for whatever reason, or like this, like this made a bigger crack than maybe anyone expected and some things fall away. But the stuff that remains is like really solid and powerful and strong. And I think that that's really, yeah, similar to the Civ, like what remains is is strong and you get to build on that intentionally. It's powerful. And it's so hard to like have that perspective when you're going through something because you're like, wow, like I'm really in the shit right now. <laughs> but like I said, it's it's not so much being on the other side of it, but like just climbing out of the dark a little bit. Like you, you can start to see the light and you can start to see these other angles and perspectives that you might not have been able to when you were really in it. But like community is so powerful in the sense that like for people who feel like they don't have it, it is a lot harder to get out. Like you just feel like you're doggy paddling just to survive versus like someone like throwing you a life preserver, you know, giving you like that little extra to like hang on. Absolutely. What's interesting to me in all this as well is just hearing once again, like you bringing it back to a greater purpose. Like I know that it hasn't always felt that way, but like where you're at right now in this process to hear you say like, you know, it's been really traumatic and awful, like on a number of levels. And where community is at for me now is that I can think about what it means to intentionally build community around me so that if this happens or something similar happens or a trauma happens to somebody else that like I and the people around me can be there for that person and we can have a strong community that's supportive in a way that I really value and that someone else will really value and it goes back to that same thought that you had around lead climbing is like I want to feel empowered like I want to know that I can take care of things and then also like how can I bring other people in too yeah after that failed big wall expedition I came back to the States and I was like, I think I might actually quit climbing. Like I was just so demoralized and beat down and just like had just a lot of really negative thoughts around like what had happened and like what, you know, I had failed to do and like what I wasn't capable of. And so like one year later, like I set this plan in motion and I was like, well, 
big wall climbing consists of a lot of aid climbing and that sort of thing. And, and that was something that I didn't have the experience in. So I worked my way up to a year later and I aid sold this wall, meaning I like self belayed and I did it all by myself. So I was like fixing lines and like I'd like have to go up the pitch and then go back down and clean the pitch and then jug the pitch completely alone. Right. And the reason I did it by myself was because I was like, well, like shit's probably going to go wrong because it always does. But when it does, I can have my little breakdown moment. I can like cry. I can yell. I can be upset. I can just, you know, feel whatever I want to feel. But like when I'm done, like once I'm done feeling the things, I have to keep moving forward and I have to like problem solve. I'm the only one who can do that. And like that was like just such a life changing and eye opening experience for me because it's just like, yeah, like other people can be there for you, even if I had had a partner with me. But like I'm the only one who like can give myself permission to move forward and charge forward and like empower myself like they're not going to do that like no one else could do it and so like removing a partner from the situation it just like emphasized that even more absolutely I'm curious to know like in that same context what have you learned about yourself in going through all of this so far that there's always more gas in the tank than you think, you know, which should not actually be applied to real life. If if you're driving and you're low on gas, you should probably go to a gas station. But there's always like a little bit more left. There's something else to pull from. And I've always believed that like my entire life, like even as like an adolescent, like if it feels like there isn't a solution, there probably is an alternative it just you might not like it right it might require more work or more effort or more time or any of that but like there's always an alternative it's just you have to like be willing to look for it thank you so much to kathy carlo for your time vulnerability and strength in this episode to see more of kathy's work in climbing adventures you can find her on instagram at in headlights You'll also definitely want to tune into our podcast, For the Love of Climbing, which you can find anywhere podcasts are found and follow along on Instagram at For the Love of Climbing. We'll be back next week for our final episode as Women on the Road, as we transition to Nomads at the Intersections, a podcast with Diversify Van Life, hosted by Naomi Grevenberg with co-host Anais Monique. In the meantime, to check out more of what we'll be up to in the coming weeks as we reboot this show into something that continues to serve our community, Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Women on the Road, as well as our friends over at Diversify.VanLife. Thanks again to our sponsors, Oregon State eCampus and BetterHelp. Music is by Josh Woodward, Wild Pony, Handsome and Gretel, and the Eliza Carter Band. Women on the Road is a production of Ravel Media. Until next time, we're hoping you're all safe and healthy out there. <laughs>